Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 23. Uh, may, may not get through all of that, but that's our goal today. Romans 6, 19 through 23. Paul has been teaching uh, that our justification is by grace. I mean, from chapters 3 through 5, that's what he's been declaring that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and in that alone. There are no works that can achieve uh, the, the work that Christ did on the cross, which is why he died on the cross. There was no other means to redemption. Isn't it wonderful to consider the love of God that he has demonstrated in giving his only son? I mean, people... All the time, I, I hear it. It's kind of like, I, I don't know if God's for me. I, these are Christians. I don't know if God's for me. I don't know if he loves me. And let me tell you, all you have to do is look at the cross, and you'll know he loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you from beginning to end. He always, always loves you, Christian. Paul has been letting us know, and there's something about uh, of the love of a father. The love of the father wants the best for his children. Isn't that true, dads? I mean, you want the best for your children. You want them uh, to, to constantly know your love for them. You want to do what's best for them. And what's best for them does not always agree what you think is best for them does not always agree with what they think is best for them. Because if we went with what they think is best for them, there would be cotton candy always, right? Right? I mean, there would always be suckers. There would be things that they love to play with, and when they got tired of those, we'd get them more things that they love to play with. We get them whatever food they desire, take them to any place that they want. If we parented our children according to their desire. Fortunately, God has given parents good sense to know wait, I'm the parent. My child doesn't tell me. I tell my child. And so what we find in Paul's argument throughout this thing is that people are thinking about the gospel in a way that since I've been set free, I can do what I want. And Paul's saying that's simply not true. Not only does it not align with my character, God's character. But it's also not good for you, child. And so Paul has been saying, look, you are saved by grace through faith. And now here in Romans 6, he's communicating that God not only redeems but God transforms. 
As I say, some will hear that message and think that God doesn't really care how we live. Yet he pours out in his word how much he cares how we live. And that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the power to live in obedience to him. When we left last week, Paul had introduced the phrase, slaves of righteousness, in verse 19. He had once said that we were slaves to sin earlier, but now he's talking about being slaves to righteousness. He's going to expand on that in the passage we're looking at today. He's using this illustration of slavery, and it's shocking that he would use that as an illustration, which is why he writes there in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Sometimes we have to draw a picture. That's what he's saying. Some of y'all, that's how you learn. It's one thing for you to hear it, but you might quickly forget it. But if someone draws you a picture, you'll go, oh, okay. Now I get it. Now I see. Now I understand. And so Paul's using something that is common in Roman society, slavery, to paint a picture of what he means by no, you can't go on and do what you want to do. Because that's how some see the gospel. Something that's difficult in our society of affluence is learning not to value the things of this world more than the things of God. Or more than God himself. In order to do that, I mean, one of the things that Paul's doing is he's building a contrast and he's building this contrast against lawlessness and sanctification, against death and eternal life. But one thing we need to understand is that is that we need to know the difference between temporal blessings and spiritual blessings. And the second thing is we need to know the true nature of blessing. You see, if you don't know the difference, you'll do whatever you want. And if you don't know what is true, you'll do whatever you want. Because you don't have a model of that. So we need to understand the nature of true blessing. Uh, what is to be truly, what is it to be truly blessed and truly free? Because that's what Paul's talking about. What truly satisfies and what truly means 
that we're free and we have liberty. This is one of the things that Paul is bringing out of this. How should we live and what makes us live that way? I want us to try to answer the questions. What is it to be truly blessed? What is it to be truly slaves of righteousness? What does that mean? What does it mean to be truly free as a believer in Christ? My point's are this just as so now it's a weird name for a point isn't it just as so now young put three little dots in between that if you want to what I just used is I used the language of contrast and that's what Paul is about to do he's going to build a contrast by saying, just as, so now. Secondly, I want us to see freedom from righteousness is slavery apart from Christ. And lastly, I'm giving you the answer. To one of my questions. Holiness is freedom. Holiness is freedom. First, just as so now, look at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as... You once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul is using this analogy of slavery to create a contrast. Just as you were slaves to sin, so now be slaves to righteousness. One leads to more lawlessness. One leads to sanctification. Lawlessness breeds lawlessness. Sin breeds sin. Uh, he, he's, he's letting them know, I want you to see how you were bound to sin. And we've talked about that a little bit. And it's not that I was incapacitated so much as my will was in bondage to sin. And it had no alternative. He's even going to touch on that in a few moments when he, said, when he says in verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Righteousness wasn't an option. It wasn't possible. And it's not possible for those who are bound, enslaved, tethered 
to sin. That righteousness just wasn't impossible. So now be slaves to righteousness. That's what you've been set free to. Sin leads to lawlessness. That's the opposite of what righteousness leads to. It leads to sanctification. It leads to holiness. Still answering the question, shall we go on sinning since we're under, not under law but under grace? No. That leads to lawlessness and more lawlessness. And this one leads to holiness. Now, look at the three parts of that, of that sentence there. For just, as, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, we've known the bondage of sin. That's what it's saying. We have known the bondage of sin. All of us have known that. We have known how sin enslaves and how it has hold of us. But also, we must now present ourselves as slaves of righteousness. That's what it's saying. That's the, uh, the second part. Just as you did this, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Why? It leads to sanctification. In order for us to know the freedom of holiness... We have to be set free from the bondage of sin. And that freedom, that liberty, sends us flying into the arms of Christ to love him and embrace him and follow him and know him. And so Paul is doing this. He's using this illustration to kind of shock us out of the illusion that people are free Apart from Christ. No one's free apart from Christ. You're a slave. That illusion is this. That true freedom is doing whatever you want apart from God's will and word. That's the illusion that exists in this world. Sadly, it's an illusion that also exists in churches. The illusion is that true freedom is doing whatever you want apart from God's will and God's word. Well, let me tell you, that doesn't work out very well. How many actors... Musicians, can you think of in your mind that have utterly ruined their careers by doing whatever they wanted? Through drugs, alcohol, sex, you name it. I mean, they get the money and they just go crazy. I mean, they lose it. And they go running into the arms of just... Total debauchery. How many 
have destroyed their lives thinking that freedom is to do whatever you want to do. You don't have to be an actor. You can just be like one of us. And just think, you know what? I'm saved. I can do what I want. No, you can't. I mean, if you hold to that doctrine and that theology, I'd love to sit down with you and I'd love for you to walk me through the pages of God's Word where He says, since you're saved, you can do whatever. That's going to be fun. For me, not for you. Because once you sit silently for a little while, not knowing where to go in the Word of God, we're going to spend the next couple of hours with me showing you all through Scripture where that's not the case. No, you can't do what you want. That's what the Scripture tells us. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to understand something. Just as you once presented, now present yourself to this. Righteousness. It leads to holiness. Young people, I hope you are listening. Because if you don't have this thought and attitude, it's possible that you might one day. I hear it all the time. Some of you feel like slaves in prison under your parents' roof and authority. Anybody? No, don't raise your hand, boys and girls. I was kidding. Feel like slaves under this. You want to be, a, you, you, you can't wait for the day of freedom when you can move out and be on your own and do what you want to do. Maybe you even said that. You want to be away from the shelter and the food and the clothing and the entertainment that your parents provide. You no longer want to be loved or to be under the moral law they lay down. You're confusing that their love is bondage and being away from them is freedom. You're enslaved to your desire to be free to do what you want. You can't wait to escape the embrace of love. I just took the illustration and flipped it upside down on its head. What we need to understand is that we've been set free from the trouble and the snares and the difficulties of sin. 
And we have been turned loose into the freedom of the shelter of God's fortress and God being our fortress and God being our provision and God being all these things. So young people learn from your parents. Tell them, thank you for the roof. Thank you for the food. Thank you for your love, no matter what. It's so important for us to grasp this because we are in love with things that oppress us. What I mean by that is we love the things of this world. Many years ago, George Orwell wrote a book called 1984. He, he wrote the book long before the year 1984. And in there, he basically suggested that there was a possibility that in the future, because of the growth and technology and such, that there would be a day when there would be a, an oppressive big brother state that would be able to control every aspect of our lives. He raised this as a problem of civil liberty something that would prevent us from freedom. But before Orwell wrote, a man named Aldous Huxley wrote a book called Brave New World. And in this book, he basically said, you know, the problem is not going to be in an impressive big brother state. The problem is going to be the problem is that we're going to become slaves of our own desires. Neil Postman wrote a book later on called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And if you never read the entire book, which I suggest you do, uh, if you never read the entire book, at least read the introduction. Because I'm fixing to read a portion of it to you right now. In this book, in his introduction, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he says, We were keeping our eye on 1984. When the year came and the prophecy didn't, thoughtful Americans sang softly in praise of themselves. The roots of liberal democracy had held wherever else the terror had happened. We at least had not been visited by Orwellian nightmares. But we had forgotten that alongside Orwell's dark vision, there was another slightly older, slightly less well-known, equally chilling book, Aldous Hawksley's Brave New World. Contrary to common belief, even among the educated, Huxley and Orwell did not prophesy the same, the same thing. 
Orwell warns that we will be overcome by an externally opposed oppression, but in Huxley's vision, no big brother is required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. As he saw it, people will come to love their oppressions and to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. In 1984, Huxley added, People are controlled by inflicting pain. In the brave new world, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. To love sin leads to death, it says. It leads to more lawlessness, it says. And it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. We love the things of this world. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. You got to know the difference between the things of this world that you desire and the things of God. And that's what he's laying out. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity that destroy, that lead to more destruction. Just as you loved that, just as you were slaves to that, just as you were bound to that, just as you were tethered to it. You've been set free from that. Now, be slaves to righteousness. Do y'all want to know something here? We are not forced into any of this slavery. The slavery to sin... We're not forced into that. It's just what we are. Slavery to righteousness, we choose that. We're not forced into it. But I want you to know, if you're born again in Jesus Christ, you're not going to have to be forced into it. That's what Paul's saying. This is true liberty to do the thing that you long to do. This isn't somebody saying, here, you got to follow this rule. What Paul is describing is something where you have been liberated from sin and you go running into righteousness. Did y'all ever, when y'all were kids, I mean, we just had all this rain. And you wanted to play in the rain. Anybody ever want to play in the rain? It's kind of like, I want to go play in the rain, Mom. No. No, you're not going to play in the rain. Well, y'all might have got to do this, but my mama wouldn't let me, okay? It's cold outside. The water's falling. No, you can't go run and play in the rain. 
Okay. But then the rain would stop after, you know, dropping an inch or so. Mom, can we go play outside now? Yeah, it stopped raining. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We knew where all the big mud puddles were. I don't know what the difference between me going and playing in the rain and me going and jumping in that mud puddle, but I tell you what, we go jump in that thing. And the thing is, you, I mean, you ever see kids just start stomping in, I mean, just a little bit of puddles. And that's fun. And then you see a big one just like that. I mean, you right? Am I the only one that did that? I mean, we would have ditches that would swell up. And I mean, we'd go jump in those. Don't do that, though. Okay? Don't ever do that. They weren't deep ditches. Here's my point. When you get set free from sin, you run to righteousness and you might splash around in a little puddle, but then you see a bigger puddle and all you want is more. That's what you want. You want more. You're not being forced into this. Paul isn't saying, come here, put these chains on of righteousness. He is describing something where we want to freely run and frolic. It's not dignified, but it is good, and it leads to holiness. We want to frolic in the puddles of righteousness, and they're just puddles for a long time. Ezekiel describes kind of wading out into a river and then describes being up to his neck and then describes swimming in it, and he's talking about life in the Holy Spirit. He's calling us to that. He's pointing us to this righteousness. It leads to sanctification. And sanctification leads to holiness. Just as you were slaves to sin, just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity. Went up and stood alongside of it. Now, present yourself. Your members. All of who you are as slaves to righteousness. And it leads to sanctification. And it keeps leading to sanctification. It keeps sanctifying you as you walk and live in righteousness. You won't be able to get enough. You see, freedom from righteousness is slavery. There is no genuine freedom for those who are apart from Christ. They're bound. But you've been set free to righteousness. Look at verse 20. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. 
One is you could do some kind things. You could take somebody a meal that's kind. You could do some things uh, of, of helping others. But what you couldn't do is you couldn't turn those acts into righteousness. You were totally free from righteousness. You couldn't turn anything that you did that was good into righteousness. And the reason is, is because righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We can't turn our goodness into something that's righteous. Only God can turn us into righteous creatures. You are free in regard to righteousness. And he asked a question about that. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? I mean, those things that you're asking me about, well, shall we go on sinning since we're not under law but under grace? Why would you do that? You're ashamed of the things you used to do. You're ashamed of the sinfulness of your life. Why would you do that? You're ashamed of all the things that cause sorrow and destruction and pain and hurt and fear in your life. Why would you want to repeat those things? Because the fruit of those things you're ashamed of, but also the fruit of those things, look what it says, for the end of those things is death. No, don't keep sinning. You're not perfect and you're never going to be perfect. But this should... Sin should never be the path and the course and the aim of your life or your day. But I want you to see quickly that holiness is freedom. Verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 22. But now, <laughs> the contrast is still going on. Now that you have been set free from sin, there's true liberty. You have been set free from sin. Sin that held you. Sin that would not let you go. Sin that prevented you from righteousness. You have been set free from. And have become slaves of God. Look what it says. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. And it's in eternal life. The fruit is sanctification. What does sanctification lead to? Sanctification leads to holiness. It is holiness. That's what we're becoming. We're becoming more and more holy. God has commanded, be holy. That's a command. Be holy. Just as I'm holy. He's basically saying, this is the standard, me. 
That's what he's saying. I'm the standard. It's kind of like, Lord, I, I can't. That's too high. God's not saying that we're going to uh, attain that in this life. We will attain that when we are glorified. But what sanctification is, is it's us running toward that goal. He's called us to that. That's what he's talking about here. Sanctification, becoming more like him. He says in Ephesians that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's our position. That's who we are. Isn't that great? It's a done deal. I love that I've been sealed. I love that this is true, that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. But it is incredibly clear that the practice of my life doesn't look anything like the glory of being seated in heavenly places. And the life of a believer is one that is constantly moving toward that, that has that as it's his, his or her aim, that's constantly seeing that as the goal and not to have stuff or not to have certain relationships or not to uh, have uh, uh, various drugs and chemicals and things uh, not to have the things of this world. Those are the things that derail you from the goal. And Paul's saying, look, what you're asking does not compute with what the gospel says. And the gospel both redeems and renews. And he makes us new. It is eternal life. In the end, the fruit you get from becoming slaves of God, the fruit you get from being set free from sin, it leads to eternal life. That's our aim. That's our hope. That's the whole goal that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Not this world, not the things of this world, not to have more stuff. Not, I mean, we live in an affluent society where we can get enough stuff to be happy and satisfied. But those things lead to destruction. They lead to death. They lead to needing more things. In order to be satisfied. I think it's beautiful. That the gospel says. Here's all you need. To be satisfied. Here's all you need. For total contentment. And happiness. And joy. And peace. And comfort. No matter what's going on in your life. No matter what's around you. Here it is. Jesus Christ. And him crucified. And that's it. So much of this life has this goal in it. That I would be satisfied with nothing else except for Jesus Christ. Shall we keep on sinning? No. 
Instead, what we shall keep on doing is finding bigger puddles of righteousness to splash around in. Let's do that. Let's pursue that. Let's be holy as Christ is holy. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that Paul is laying out from, for us life and death, lawlessness and righteousness. And Father, as mankind, as men and women, boys and girls, we find that it's true that in being a slave to sin, we have no option for righteousness. So we want to thank you that you have made sure to break the chains of sin that bind us. And you have liberated us from it. And Lord, that we would have in us the desire for righteousness. It's what ought to be in us to be righteous. And so Lord, if there's not that longing in us who call ourselves Christians. Help us to examine our hearts. Show us what is the obstacle to me longing for righteousness. Lord, and then remove it. We love you, God, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.